This is the Nitrogen Podcast. You're listening to the second part of our episode on water. If you missed the first, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. If not, we're going to pick up right where we left off, talking about water infrastructure and trying to learn a lesson from Flint. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our subject matter expert for this episode, Charles Fishman, the author of The Big Thirst, Vicki Schultz, Christy Cooper, and Mary Stevenson from Catholic Charities in Flint, Michigan, and Professor Michael Henneman from Arizona State University. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the show. That was then. So these plants were built starting in the late 70s and during the 1980s. They have a planned life of about 40 years. I mean, some can mess it longer, but the design life of drinking uh, of sewage treatment plants is about 40 years. And those 40 years are sort of coming to an end now. The federal subsidies ended um, by the late 80s, and there's no subsidy program like that now. And so, on the one hand, we had tremendous success, not with drinking water, but getting secondary treatment in place. But that was kind of a one-shot effort because the subsidies have gone away. So we sort of, we have issues with drinking water, with water supply, you know, with contaminants, uh, uh, lead, uh, uh, some places, quite a number of places uh, that get groundwater, there are problems with arsenic in the, occurring naturally in the groundwater. And we also have the, now the sort of aging infrastructure of sewage treatment plants because we don't have um, a sugar daddy standing by to finance replacing these plants. This guy said sugar daddy. <laughs> That's yeah, hilarious. So, yeah, you're saying, all right, that 40 years is about up, uh, overdue about a year or so. And that sweet, sweet sugar daddy money is gone, right? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't, uh, doesn't sound too good. It doesn't. Okay, so we know municipalities get water. They're the ones that are paying for it. Sure. And they're the ones that are having to pay for the investment, right? So the feds, like you said, the, the sugar daddy. The sugar daddy is gone. And they were helping fund some of this. Yeah. So now we don't have the money coming from that, right? So are you going to raise the water rates? Or are you going to pay for it, what you have to do? Or what are you going to do? Uh, he talks about the pressures they're under. One of the things that's not realized is when you have a, a, a government municipality or some other public agency supplying water, they typically have a strong incentive they're much more influenced by political pressures. Um, and they have strong incentives to do things on the cheap, and in particular, to put off costly investments until the very last minute. So you're going to be cheap about our most precious element. That's awesome, guys. Well, I mean, to go back to it, you're expecting these to last 100 years. If you think about it, the investment is huge. In order to invest in something that's going to take 100 years, like a car is 5, 10 years, and that's 30 to 50 grand, right? But that's an investment. You know, so imagine something that's as big as water Full scale production of something that it takes so much money to just turn on one drop of it. As he says, though, they, they never invest in it because it's so expensive. We tend to think sort of superficially, or we tend to think, you know, in the blink of an eye, the high prices of something that is scarce are bad. The $100 barrel oil is bad. And it's painful in the immediate sense. But when the, the price of a commodity like that triples and stays up there for 10 years, what that unleashes is this incredible wave of innovation and also conservation and also alternative thinking. And that never happens with water 
because we don't bring price to bear ever. And that, to me, is a huge failure. When I wrote in The Big Thirst, when I talk about water and I say, the one thing you could do to fix almost every water problem is raise the price of water, I'm not advocating cutting off the toilets of people who live on modest means. I'm saying about farmers in the Central Valley of California, hey, it's the middle of a drought. Maybe you shouldn't just be drilling deeper and pumping harder for water that is free. Maybe we should be thinking differently about this commodity. So there's no innovations for water, but there is for things such as oil. When oil got to be $100 a barrel, they were like, oh, we can just drill into yeah, the, the earth and it's going to cost money. But if I'm making $30 a barrel every time, like, oh, I'll just keep drilling. That's fine. So he does say, like, obviously water should be cheap. It right. should be affordable. And he uses a great analogy. It's like how many people have smartphones, right? Yeah, everyone. Right, everyone. And that's a, a cost that we didn't have 20 years ago. And exactly. we incurred it just fine. Especially that phone bill. That right. Data, that, plan. Right. data plan. Get that oh, unlimited yeah. data, right? That's, that's some real stuff. But water rates are still cheap, right? Exactly. You know what's interesting in Flint? So they change over from Detroit to the Flint River, right? And uh, the water rates got expensive. They got crazy expensive, right? Yeah. Because they had to pay for this whole thing. And then the city way back over a year ago started this um, Keep the Water Flowing. It was a campaign. And we help here with water bills so people's water didn't get shut off when they switched the water rates have just been outrageous so it's two different things here one is the quality of the water and the other is how expensive now i'll tell you the truth i don't think it would have been probably as devastating if our water was really cheap you know if your water bill was ten dollars a month say but when a standard person who lives alone has a water bill of 150 a month I mean, one of our employees who makes $9 an hour, and she come in and she said, my water bill is 150 I do two loads of laundry a week, and I take a shower every other night. And we've seen water bills here that, yeah, they might be a couple months worth, but 1200 people that owe 1800 I can't even imagine. There again, I'm back to thinking, I have a well. I don't pay for that. I pay to put my well in, but I don't pay for my water. So, so I think you got two things that sort of, one is the price of the water was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So then when you got the quality is terrible, it's like a double whammy. You got the worst of both worlds. Not only was their water awful, but it was also expensive. Thanks. I feel for them, man. You know, I, uh, I'll post a video of it too. I drove around Flint and it was sobering. Let me just tell you that. When I was there, uh, I was driving around and it didn't fail. Every corner uh, had an abandoned house. The entire time I was there driving around, it was, like I said, it was sobering. But living in this environment, having to deal with yeah, just driving around, on, right? Just pile it on Flint. All right, we're paying right, a lot of money then. for poisoned water. Right. And Charles Fishman talks a little bit about how water rates should be raised, right? Sure. But not to the price where it's, it's unobtainable. I don't think there should be a market for water the way there is for oil. First of all, there can't be. We move oil around the world in vast tanker and pipeline, you know, arrangements that have cost a lot of money to put in place that are really important. And oil is a commodity that you can charge a lot for and move. And the scales are completely different. In, in the United States, we use more water in three days than the world uses oil in a year. But we could bring economics to bear much more effectively than we do by thinking smartly about what we charge users for water, about what happens when water is scarce, about if we raise the price of water, in certain settings and for certain users what we do with the revenue we get so that we reinvest in a system 
that needs some innovation, that needs some uh, creative thinking, and that definitely needs some financial resources. That's hard to do, though. You have to balance that ground between, like, all right, make it affordable for everybody, but also make it awesome and make the water system amazing. So it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's complicated, right? Yeah, so, complicated. I mean, to touch upon what we talked about last time, right? Campaign finance is complicated, but yeah. we can get through this together. Sure. We can figure this out. Like you said, we just need some creative thinking. Right. Like we landed the sky crane on Mars. Right? <laughs> we just need something just to, to come through and, and understand what's going on. Where are we spending our money? How are we, are we investing? How are we doing it? The municipalities, by and large, fund our, our infrastructure for water. Exactly. In California alone, how many, how many different municipalities do you think there are? Oh, are, oh. oh, yeah, it's 180 different municipalities that right. are, are supplying water. When you compare that to electric companies, oh, it's, it's, it's surprising. The other thing that's strikingly different about water and electricity is water is tremendously fragmented. So in California, five utilities, three investor-owned, two public, supply electricity retail to about 80% of the California population. If you ask how many utilities supply water retail to the California population, the answer is something like 150 or 180 utilities. Every little town has its own water utility. But you have Pacific Gas and Electric covering most of Northern California. You have Sacramento covering Sacramento and uh, neighborhood. You have Southern Calais and San Diego Gas and Electric. You have, as I say, five or so utilities supplying electricity to 80% of the population. I think what he's saying here is that it's a great example of what can be done to regulate things. So. Your power fails a lot, but generally everyone has power. Everyone pays for it. Um, I do think our power infrastructure does need some investment as well, sure. uh, quite a bit. We can do a whole episode on that. But generally it's invested in because you have to invest in it. And by investing in it, let me take a step back. Like Around the same time, the turn of the century, they started realizing we have to start thinking about our primary treatment of water. They right. were thinking the progressive movement, these like natural monopolies, so like railroads, yeah. Electricity, they started lump, eventually started getting lumped into there. Water one. Right. So when that happened, they started investing in infrastructure because there was these incentives to do so. If you invest in infrastructure, 6% of your, the amount you're paying for this investment will give you back as profit. Right. Right. You'll make some money by doing it, right? Uh, eventually, like some of these things got out of hand, but they, they reined it in. What he suggests is to do something like that with water. Like, right. let's just investigate. Let's, let's see what it is. Um, he does mention, obviously, that there's a great example of that so. power companies are supplying it, we should probably take a look at it and scrutinize water as much as we're scrutinizing yeah. power. We need more, and we need more incentive for innovation. Yes. You know well, Charles Fishman says about the innovation, right? That's, that's a great point that he brings up. And then uh, Professor Hanneman has an idea as well. So this once needed reward, I think, really is a sort of national commission to investigate nationally, not just the backlog of investment, but the the financing needs, and really a national strategy for bringing our water infrastructure up to snuff. Just let's see what's going on. Let's see where we need to invest, right? right. Because what Charles Fishman, what he brought up earlier was, you don't think about it. And engineers take pride in the fact you don't have to think that there's water. Like he mentioned in that That's interview right, I that I had that. with him, the almost the entire system is powered by gravity. How yeah. pipes go through. <laughs> That's all gravity. So we have innovation in it. He mentions Las Vegas in his book and in the interview as well, 
the big thirst, by the way. I actually picked it up and read yeah. it. It's great. Yeah, I uh, I interviewed him when I was in San Diego, and I read it on the plane home. It's, it's it's great if anyone wants to pick that up. But he mentions in it that Las Vegas has a lot of innovation in this field. Their water rates really cheap. Really cheap. Right, too cheap for the amount that they were getting out there. But then they started realizing it's a desert. We're getting all these people that are moving here, right? Yeah. You have to deal with all this. Uh, they changed the water usage around. They're now recycling a lot of it. Um, and they're recycling some of it with less standards, you know, so that's used for, like, plants and toilet water or whatever sure. else have you, right? <laughs> uh, so that's saving them all this money and doing so. So there's, there's a lot of innovation that can happen, but we have to know where to spend it. Can't we just also take some of the positive innovations from Las Vegas and then put it in on a national scale? Is that possible? Is that what he's trying to... I think that's the next logical step. Like, to solve any problem, you first have to admit you have one, right? <laughs> and, and I think that that's what he's getting at. Let's have a commission. Let's put everyone together and see where we have problems like Flint, that we're yeah. on the verge of something big or, you know, we need to invest in some infrastructure. We need to know where to put it. Yeah. All right. So he's thinking, like, we don't focus on this enough and we have to do it. Is that what he thinks our government mindset is? Not I, know, really I, think, yeah, I think public policy, I think, is the word you're, like, teasing for. But, yeah, right. I think what he's hoping is that they invest in seeing how big of a problem it is and yeah. then eventually invest in getting more, like, a Clean Water Act that he mentioned earlier, right? Federal subsidize these municipalities to go in there because if they don't, you're going to be in situations like Flint. I kept saying, is there anything wrong? No, we're having it tested. It's okay. Why is it orange? Well, it's just because, you know, and blah, blah. And we'd ask the same questions, the same stuff over and over, you know, and we were just told. And then about last year, February of 2015, and they're saying everything's okay, okay, okay. And then they wanted to use our gymnasium and the city wanted to do a water giveaway. And Mary and I said, well, all we're, we're not hosting this thing. We're just letting you use our gym. And we just sort of scratched our heads and we're saying, okay, the water's okay, but yet you're going to give out water. So it seemed like an oxymoron, isn't that what that's called? <laughs> and that we just always seem puzzled by. And I personally said to the mayor, if you're trying to convince the city that the water's okay, and they were on TV all the time and everything else, we got to show the community if it's okay, we can't just talk the talk, we got to drink the water. So when we hosted it in our gym, we had a water pitcher <laughs> and glasses. Because our belief was if we're furnishing the setup, you're going to drink the water. Regardless of that, we're wondering, like, we're scratching our heads, like, why are you giving water away, you know, if you're telling us it's safe? Yeah, are you serious? Like, all right, oh, oh, no, I'm just saying. Water's cool, you can drink it, but you know what? We're just going to have this water giveaway, totally unrelated. Uh, we just want you guys to be super hydrated, all right? Water's okay, though, to drink, I'm just saying, but take some water just to get me. What? Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, if you, if you like, really, um, if you listen to what she said, who she was asking this to was the water treatment, oh, treatment guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's the guy who's not putting enough of the lead treatment in the water. It's crazy, you know, but I will have to say the energy in that building was insane. It was palpable. Like, you could feel it. The minute I walked in, the security guard, he, he helped me right in to it, right to who it was that was there. Mary, she hooked me up with, with access, I guess. Yeah. She told the security guy I was going to be there, and everybody's just helping everybody out, and it seems that that's kind of the story. And I just called Catholic Charities up. I called, like, four other places, but they were the only one I could get on the phone. And she tells me that there's thousands of stories that are like that. You know, I'm just telling you a couple that I'm aware of, and Mary can tell you another zillion. But it, it is the outpouring support is now. I'm just so, that's what keeps us going. Mm -hmm. It's the smiles you put on people's faces. It's knowing they help. A lot of people come with a whole family. 
they want to see how they can do it. I mean, you see things on our Facebook where the family pulled up and their whole car was full. Well, all they do is open up their trunk and they stay out in the parking lot and they're handing it out right out of their trunk. I yeah. mean, we were doing, I think at our prime, we were doing between three and 4,000 cases a day. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of cases. She told me, uh, I'll paraphrase it now. I really want to throw her whole video up on the SoundCloud um, because it's unreal how many stories she had. She told me one about somebody from California who called her up and they were oh, taking yeah. all of these cases at this coffee shop and then they were like how are we gonna get there so then they put it on a truck and when i got there it was on the, like a car carrier it was oh. on the front of a car carrier They're looking like how are we gonna get this down a guy came from virginia he got a bonus filled his car up with water drove out there spent his whole bonus on water that's awesome and dude. then when he comes back the the guy he works for finds out about it and matches the donation so the support they had is just great which is awesome to hear. Right? I do agree we do need a national commission to have it, um, but it's great that they have that support. I asked her, do you have enough water now? Uh, we do as of today. Yep. Now, I was standing out there yesterday when Channel 4 showed up, and we had no water because we didn't have a new semi yet. Yeah, so still waiting on water, huh? <laughs> yeah, when I was there a few months ago, I drove to Toronto after Flint, and the road there back, I dissected what she said right there, and I said, do you have enough water? And she says, well, yeah, right now I do. You mean today right like <laughs> yeah for 24 hours yeah like you have enough water yeah. right now to hand out to people but right. you don't know when more people are coming right right you don't know you don't know if you'll have water when they get there right you know that was i was thinking about that for a while that definitely got me going it's it's pretty crazy well, so but when she was when they were doing the giveaways was it nine months before the actual water crisis yeah so yeah. it was um damn near a year so did anyone ever own up to that, that they actually did know? Are they still saying that's coincidence? Like They're, they're know, trying, responsibility right? for it? Yeah, they're trying. And one of the great points that Vicky brought up was even when they do get it right, so they're working on it. There's not really anything being brought to bear as far as responsibility-wise, last I checked. And they're working to get the water back to treatable. The mayor is doing this like 30 pipes in 30 days. She's ripping out the piping to put new ones in. But to get people to trust that you can turn the faucet on again and it's not going to harm your kids. I was calling grade schools when I went there and I wanted to talk to grade schools because I was wondering how kids are getting affected by this. Were there kids with rashes? Yeah. Were they, there yeah, kids... they get enough water? Are they hydrated? Well, the thing, the thing with it is is they're doing blood level testings, right? Oh, but, for the lead? Right, but it, it's like 30 days inside of your system, but it's not really out of your system because it's in your bones. Yeah, okay. And it's already affected you at that point. It affects kids a lot. So That's awful. It's going to be a while before they really know what's the up actual... with that. Yeah. So Professor Hanneman, he says there's a lesson in all this. So as we keep cutting corners and looking for cheap solutions, eventually, it's not so much a head-on collision, but it's these problems build up. Um, inadequate water supply, inadequate pressure, inadequate quality, you know, pipe bursts, pipe breaks that have to be replaced. And uh, as, and so the moral of Flint is it put off spending a lot of money until it couldn't put off spending a lot of money. And now they have a horrendously expensive, you know, investment that they have to undertake. Because they didn't want to spend the money for the water treatment plant. Right. Now they have to redo all the pipe. Like yeah. They're ripping the pipe up. It costs more money than if you would originally just treated the pipes. Right. So, so they're putting so costs off you know. because they don't want to put on these 100-year investments. So where they, yeah, where are they getting all this money from to do the new stuff? The state is giving them money. There's the emergency relief money that's going in there. A lot of it's going towards dispersing water to people and, and helping people there. I haven't seen anything, as I last checked, about the medical side of it. 
helping you know like kids that are affected or people with yeah. like lead poisoning and things like that. I haven't seen much funding going there, but it is going to help you know redoing all of this. It's even going to cost more money because then think of the lawsuits. Like, all right, well this yeah. grows up and maybe with a bone defection or whatever. There was a story about a kid who went to DC um, that had. Uh, some mental challenges after drinking this water for so long. It's, it's, I mean, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know the cost of this. If I can, you know, do my little numbers again and figure out how much the cost of this is, I wouldn't be doing it justice because of the amount of untangible costs there are. There are the medical costs, there's the ripping everything up, there's the piping. And then what about the people who've left Flint already, right? Because of this happening, it's just, it's intangible. And really, by putting off some costs, you're, you're charging a lot more. And there's a great analogy. Uh, think of an airplane. They don't fly the airplane till the jet engine fails. They have sensors. And the sensors are monitoring the performance of the jet engine, you know, how the turbine rotates, every second. And they're tracing it, and they're predicting, given what I'm observing now, you know, how many hours are there left for this turbine before I need to replace it. And there's a certain recommended point and at that point you replace it even though it's still working you don't wait for a failure because that's catastrophic right we don't measure pipes that way we don't measure um you know our infrastructure and we don't replace pipes in many cases we don't replace them before they're broken they were spending the money to check the pipes that's what they could do right sure. and 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 see what it's doing see how it's corroding and then they say well you know we should probably do something about yeah. this now are they going to actually do something about it that's the thing Raise the water rates. Well, people freak out, and that's the very real political reality of it. I'd rather pay a little bit more for the pipes. I'm all down. How about you? Yeah, uh, last time I was giving my money to Bernie Sanders, I think, but I would, uh, <laughs> I would pay a little bit more. I mean, I don't pay for water right now because I, right. Uh, I rent. But I mean, I would pay some more. But I, we say that, but but the reality is different. If part of your job is to keep water rates low, because that makes voters happy, because that keeps elected officials in power, and conversely, you know that raising water rates in this administration at this moment will make a lot of people upset, and the phones will ring, and the, you know, the mayor or the deputy mayor or the county commissioner will call and say, what are you doing? And you shrug and say, well, you know what, I think it'll be okay for another year. Right. So, yeah, that backlash. So yeah, yeah. well, I guess I guess it makes sense politically why you wouldn't fix it, right? It's not sexy. It's not sexy. It's not it's sexy. That's the it's word. Not, you know what else isn't sexy? Retirement. Retirement is not sexy. Not at all. I think water is a lot like retirement. Let me give you one more comparison, and maybe I will talk to you off. I think there's a really good analogy that I find kind of vivid, and that is if you start saving for retirement when you're 24 or 25 or 28, and you start out putting. $50 a month away, and as your salary goes up, uh, you put more and more so that, you know, at, at some point you're saving thousands of dollars a year for retirement, but you're sort of not in pain because you started long ago, the money's taken out of your paycheck before you get it. Then by the time you're 65 or 70, there's more than enough money to retire, and it hasn't been a burden. If you start saving for retirement when you're 62, if you could somehow put your entire paycheck into your retirement account between 62 and 65 or 62 and 70 and live off air or live off the friendship of your friends, there would never be enough money. So it's just like retirement. Yeah. Except for it's retirement when you're flying a plane <laughs> and you're not letting it touch down to, to fix it. And it's going to be a lot more expensive money-wise if you just wait for it to crash, but also you may 
die because it's going to crash. But that's what we kind of do with water. We can do something about it if we just spend money on it. We've solved for it. That's the part that I got so frustrated about this is yeah. after I learned all of this stuff from, and I'll post the videos of Flint, actually, but the um, audio from these interviews is we can do it. We've done it. We landed the man on the moon, and then we made water better. We can make right. it better again, you know. But make water great again. Make water great again. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. Let's make we water great it. again. Yeah. Yes. All right. With that, thank you for listening. Check us out on nitrogenpodcast.com or wherever you social media. If you're on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, let us know. Thank you again for our guests uh, that I would interviewed. Uh, thank you again, Charlie, for being here. Thank you. Yeah. For, uh, Have a good night, guys.